Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I just want to welcome all of you here at Central Campus, also those of you who are joining us online, and all of you who are meeting together at one of our other regional campuses in Airdrie, in South Calgary, in Bridgeland, and also in uh, Northwest Calgary. So we're studying the book of James together, and I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to uh, chapter 3, where James talks about the power of the tongue. So would you please stand and join me in reading our Bible lesson today. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. With it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, whom you inspired to write these words, and we ask, O oh God, that you would now expand our understanding um, of what James has written here. Uh, Lord, you would just calm our hearts, focus our minds, and give us the courage to respond to whatever it is you would have us to. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> You know, when I was a teenager, there was a song on the radio by Johnny Mitchell called Big Yellow Taxi. It had one catchy line. Don't know anything else about the song. It just had one catchy line that's been with me all these years. And the line was, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Often in life, we take people and things for granted. Don't realize what we have until it's gone. For example, when was the last time you thanked God for your voice? Have you ever thought about how different your life would be if you didn't have your voice, if you couldn't speak? 
You wouldn't be able to talk to your loved ones, your friends. You wouldn't be able to talk to people at work. If, if we couldn't talk, many of us wouldn't be able to do our jobs. If I didn't have a voice, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing right now. I wouldn't be able to pray with people. I wouldn't be able to lead staff meetings. Our voice is truly a gift and a blessing. Because let's be honest, we love to talk. A, a University of California study found that on average, men speak around 7,000 words a day, while women on average speak around 20,000 words a day. <laughs> and I'm not going to make a commentary on that. <laughs> One guy was asked, do you resent that your wife always gets the last word? And he says, no, not at all. He says, I'm just glad when she finally gets to that last word. <laughs> Oh, we like to talk. You know, some of us, of course, are shy, a little bit more introverted, and we talk less. But let's be honest, we still talk lots to ourselves. There's lots of dialogue going on, isn't there? And, of course, we communicate via emails and texts and tweets and other forms of social media. The fact is, our mouths can get us into a lot of trouble. I'm reminded of the stock boy at the grocery store who was approached by a woman asking to purchase half a head of lettuce. He walked back in the back of the store to the manager, not realizing that she was walking right behind him. So when he gets back there, he says to the manager, you're not going to believe this, but there's this ditzy woman out there, you know, who's asking for a half a head of lettuce. Looking at the manager, he realized she was right behind him. And so, without missing a beat, he turned. He says, oh, and this fine lady would like the other half. <laughs> now, we're usually not as quick as this guy to get us out of trouble. But the fact is, all of us have learned at one point or another that our words can get us into trouble. And it appears that the people that James was writing to originally here were not using their tongues very wisely. Because James touches on this issue all the way through this letter. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 19, you'll remember he pleads with his readers, everyone should be quick to listen. That means shut your mouth, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In verse 126, he writes, those who consider themselves religious, in other words, those who consider themselves to be spiritually mature, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. And here in the passage that we just read together, he devotes 12 verses to this subject. Given the amount of attention that James gives to this issue, He's saying how we use our tongues is a big deal. The tongue is powerful. Our ability to speak intelligently is what separates us from the rest of creation. It's part of what it means for us to be made in the image of God. God gave us an incredible power when he committed to us the power to speak words. And no power given to us by God, I believe, has greater implications for 
healthy or unhealthy relationships than the power of our words. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of death and life. Our words can either give life or take it. They can nourish or destroy. And so in this chapter, James seeks to alert us to the power of the tongue, to examine why it is that we say the words that we do and why it's important that we be wise with the words that we do speak. First of all, he says, our tongue has the power to impact a person's destiny. In verse 3, James says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. You know, a 60-pound boy, if he knows what he's doing, can control the direction of a 2,000-pound horse with just a little piece of metal in the horse's mouth. In verse 4, James says, the direction, of a large, the direction a large ship sails is determined by a small rudder. And James goes on to say, in the same way, the tongue is a relatively small part of the body, but that movable muscular structure in our mouth can say things that can influence the trajectory of a person's life. All of us here, I'm sure, can recall the hurtful words of someone, maybe this past year, maybe five years ago, maybe 25 years ago, that scarred us, impacting us to this day in a negative way. A friend of mine tells of a time decades ago he overheard someone he trusted share just one sentence about him with another person, a very hurtful sentence. And he's been trying to prove him wrong ever since. That sentence had an effect on my friend. It affected elements of his life and perhaps even elements of the direction of his life. On the other hand, many of us can also remember the life-giving words or, or the teaching of someone that not only encouraged us but challenged us to change, to, to, to embrace a different set of values, to live differently perhaps even changing the, the, the whole direction of our lives. You see, our words are powerful. And I believe this is why James starts out in verse 1, saying, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. The word judge, by the way, could be positive or negative. You know, the teaching of God's Word is not a flippant thing we do here in our weekend services. My wife Gwen and others who work closely with me will tell you that I spend the better part of three days, sometimes into late into the evening, studying and praying, pacing, 
agonizing, asking God, God, what is it that you want me to communicate to your church this weekend through your word? I take it so seriously. First and foremost, because I know that God is holding me accountable to communicate the truth of his word accurately and fully and, and, and to do it with a heart of love. And then I communicate the whole counsel of God, not ignore or water down the tough stuff. I also take it so seriously because I know what I teach, not only with my words, but also with my life, can influence the trajectory of someone else's life. Which is why, by the way, it's important to me and also to the leaders of our church that the teaching from this pulpit is based on God's word and not on primarily on man's ideas or on pop psychology because the ideas of man will come and go, but the truth of God will last forever. It is a rock that will not move upon which we can stand. Now, I should point out that when James addresses teachers here, He's not just talking to those who teach in services like this, but to anyone who teaches the Bible to others, including parents, and those who teach children, who teach youth, who teach adults in other settings, or even in one-to-one -one settings. Also, in giving this warning here, James isn't trying to discourage godly people from teaching. Notice he immediately in verse 2 what he says. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He's saying, folks, we all stumble in many ways. We're not going to live. We're not going to teach perfectly. Our words are not always going to be wise. We're going to blow it in this area. But just remember that what you teach through your words, but also through your life and through your example, can influence the trajectory of another person's life. A friend, a child, a co-worker. And it is so important you take it seriously. And especially ensure that what you're teaching with your words and with your life is based on God's word. So first of all, James says that our tongue can impact a person's destiny. And secondly, the tongue has the power to destroy. Look at verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. This past May, a fire began southwest of Fort McMurray and soon turned into a raging wildfire, ultimately invading the city of Fort McMurray itself, resulting in over 88,000 people needing to be evacuated and over $9 billion in damages to homes and businesses, the costliest disaster in Canadian history. When the fire was finally brought under control two months later, in July, it had destroyed and blackened over 2,400 homes 
and 1.5 million acres. And all that devastation started as a little flame. And James says that's the kind of inflammatory power the tongue can have in human relationships. A mere spark from an ill-spoken word can produce a firestorm that ultimately destroys a marriage or a career, a reputation, even a life. In verse 6, James says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's a real mouthful. And you look at that and you say, what, what, what is James saying there? Well, what he's really saying is everything within us that we haven't repented of, that we haven't submitted to God, things like arrogance and pride and anger and unforgiveness and a fear of failure or our insecurities, the sum total of all of these somehow over time makes its way out of our mouths. The fire that rages within us finds its way out of our, mind, out of our mouths and has the potential to begin to spread to others. And when it does, it can create a chain reaction of devastation and wreak havoc in our relationships. One way the tongue is destructive is through dishonesty. Dishonesty destroys trust with everyone in our lives. Now, dishonesty comes in many forms, including outright lying. But it also comes in the form of not being able to keep confidences. Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. It's really sad, but I've learned I can't be a close friend with someone who's dishonest like this. And unfortunately, many other people learn that as well. Another way the tongue is destructive is through slanderous gossip. This is an attempt to destroy someone's name or character or reputation. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18.8, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. What he's saying is for some people, gossip is like a delectable dessert. They love to indulge in it and savor its taste. You know, sometimes people who don't even hang out much, don't even have that much in common. Suddenly they begin to meet together all the time because now they have something common to talk about and often it's negative critical stuff about someone else or about something else. It's a tough question. But I'm wondering how many of our friendships would be in trouble if we couldn't gossip, if we couldn't slander or criticize or grumble and talk negatively about others or about our work or about our boss or about our church or about our small group. 
I mean, would we still have something to talk about if we couldn't do those things? Slanderous gossip is anything we say that tears other people down instead of building them up. And this includes the things we communicate by email and on social media as well. My observation is that people will say things behind a computer screen that they would never say face to face. And sadly, some of those emails get forwarded to others or even worse, get posted on websites for everyone to read. I read somewhere that hundreds of teens and young adults in North America are taking their lives, not because of depression that's brought on by a chemical imbalance, but because of incessant belittling mocking, tearing down by other people and peers via social media. How tragic. What are we becoming as a society? We have no idea of the destructive impact that comes with passing on information to tear somebody down. You know, I read an illustration this past week that I want to bring to life in our service here. Uh, and I'm going to need a couple of volunteers to help me uh, just for a moment. Um, you, uh, I promise you're not going to be embarrassed. Um, you just need to have reasonably strong fingers, that's all. So do I have a couple of volunteers? Okay, there we go. Come on up. So, and what is your name, sir? Uh, Roger. Roger? Yes. Hi, Roger. And... Natasha, great. You, you come over here, Natasha. Roger, you're on this side. All right, now. So what we have here is a tube of toothpaste. Actually, we have two tubes of toothpaste. And uh, so, you know, I'm just going to draw an imaginary line right down the middle. Just down the, and I want everybody on that side, I want you to cheer for Natasha, okay? And everybody on that side, I want you to, to cheer for Roger. Is that right? Okay, all right, good. So here's the thing. I just want you to open this, and I want you to squeeze the contents out into that container. And whoever does it first wins the prize. All right. Ready, set, go. Whoa. Whoa. Sorry, guys, she beat you. Okay. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, th thanks so much for helping out. I really appreciate it. Now we're going to go to part two. Okay. All right. This is going to be a little tougher. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, if you can do this part, um, boy, am I, have I got a prize for you. All right. So part two is this. I would like you to take the contents uh, that are in that container and put it back into the tube. Ready, uh, set, just kidding. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks. I think you get the point. Words are easy to say. Words are easy to get out. But in the same way, it's nearly impossible to put the toothpaste back into the tube. So it is next to impossible to take back the destructive impact of slanderous gossip. Our criticism, our slander, our gossip will not only bring unspeakable hurt and loss into the lives of those that we malign, 
but it hurts everyone that's involved. We forget sometimes how much it hurts Christ. It hurts the witness of the church. It damages the credibility of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, it has a destructive effect on us as well. In, in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it's going to be measured to you. See, sooner or later, our slanderous, critical, judgmental words intended to tear someone else down are going to come home to roost because people will judge us by the same standard. Paul said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that you will reap. And so James says the tongue is powerful. It can impact the trajectory of a person's life. It can destroy a reputation or even a person's very life. Thirdly, the tongue has the power to bless. James wants us to understand that while the tongue has enormous power to do destructive damage, it also has tremendous power to bless. The tongue has limitless power to do good. Verse 9, James says, we can praise the Lord with our tongues. We can express thanksgiving and praise. We can bless others with our words of love and affirmation, with words of encouragement. I'm sure all of us can think of a time when someone that we looked up to, respected, affirmed us and said something like, you're such a good leader. Or, or you're such a good teacher. Or my, you build beautiful things. Or you have such a servant heart. Or you're so generous and kind. All of us have the capacity to breathe unbelievable amounts of life and confidence and joy into the life of others through our words. Words that will set people's hearts soaring rather than into despair. We can also bless those that we're close to with words of correction. And notice I said someone that we're close to. Someone that we love and that we have relational currency with. Instead of talking to everyone else about it, instead of spreading negative garbage about someone, or even going to someone saying, you know, such and such a person has an issue and I don't think they see it and I, you know, what, what do you, here's what it is and what do you think I should do? No. All of that is sidestepping what God wants us to do, the way God wants us to deal with it. A true friend will take the risk and with the utmost of humility to talk to you about a concern that they have, something that you may be blind to, something you may not be aware of, and they do it because they love you. It isn't about them at all. They want to see you excel. They have your best interests at heart. 
Darren Patrick says, when I was a young man, I was a rebellious idiot. I needed someone I respected to say, Darren, you're better than this. You don't have to act this way. This path that you're on is not going to take you to where God wants you to go. Darren, this is not wise. See, these are some of the ways that the tongue has the power to bless. Imagine every one of us having the best interests of others ahead of ourselves. Using our tongues to speak life into people, to say, I see this gift in you. Or you have such a strong gift of faith. You're such a person of prayer. God's really gifted you to lead worship or to introduce others to Jesus or to to work with children. Imagine more and more of our conversations with our friends and family, focusing on all that God is doing in our church, the lives that are being changed, all that God's doing through people that we know And instead of putting people down, we we celebrate their faithful obedience to God, the way that they're impacting their neighborhood, the way they're making a difference in their place of work, the way that they're expressing generosity with their time and their talent. You know, in in some country overseas, a small community there, they're trying to make a difference. Or the difference they're making uh, in the ministry and the mission of our church right here at home. The tongue has the power to bless. And then fourthly, the tongue reflects what's in your heart. Look at verse 9. With the same tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And what James is saying here is whatever is in the well comes out in the water. Whatever is in the tree comes out. In the fruit. And in the same way, he's saying, whatever comes out of our mouth is sort of a litmus test of what's in our heart. It's a reflection of what's going on in our heart. In Matthew chapter 12, 34, Jesus said, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if there's ongoing slander and gossip and broken confidences and dishonesty and profanity and criticism and grumbling coming out of our mouths, it's revealing that something is very wrong inside here. It's telling us that we're on the throne of our lives. We're really 
still the God of our own universe. That we're defining our identity on the basis of how we compare with others. Which you see is really behind most of the manipulating, the controlling, and the hurtful things we say to others and about others. Because, see, in order for me to feel good about myself, I need to put you down. It's also telling us that whatever worship we're offering to God isn't real. In other words, the exercise that we just went through here isn't real if you're in this place. Because the truth is, you're not really worshiping the God of the universe. You're, you're still worshiping yourself. You're still at the center of your universe. On the other hand, if what's coming out of our mouth is largely praise to God, if we're blessing and affirming and encouraging and cheering others on as a way of life, then that is likely indicative that God is on the throne of our lives. That we're daily surrendering our lives to him and living in humble dependence upon him. In verse 7, James says, No human being can tame the tongue. I mean, we can make horses dance and elephants play soccer and, you know, on and on and on. But the Bible says no human being can tame the tongue. He's saying you can't tame your tongue in your own strength. I mean, if you blow up at your spouse or a co-worker, let's say, and then you calm down and you grit your teeth and you resolve to never do that again, James says it may work for a while, but it is going to happen again because you can't pull this off in your own strength. See, Christianity is not a self-improvement plan. We can't tame our tongue because we can't change our hearts. Only God can change our heart. After King David made a royal mess of his life, the Bible says he humbled himself. And in Psalm 51, we read that he reached out to God and he pleaded with God to, to have mercy on him and to cleanse him from the sins that he'd committed. And then he prayed this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He asked God to not only forgive him and to make him clean from his past regrets, but he invited the Spirit of God to invade his life and to give him a pure heart. Friend, this is the pathway to a godly tongue. It begins by asking God to forgive us and to cleanse us from sin and then to invite. I mean, really seriously invite God to invade our lives, to change our heart, to change our character from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see, that won't happen until we stop trying to fix it on our own and we start trusting Jesus to do what we can't do. It won't happen 
until we surrender our lives to Jesus. And every morning and at various times throughout the day, we say things like, Jesus, please fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your thoughts, with your noble and true and right and pure and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy thoughts. Help me to think about that and live your life of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control through me. I put my trust in you. Would you please stand with me for closing prayer? I want to talk to you to those of you who, you know, you've just come to the realization that you need a change of heart. The good news is, is that Jesus specializes in heart transplants. Heart transformation begins when we realize that despite of our sins and our failures, that we are loved by God. We are not in the doghouse with Him. It's just that He loves us too much to not challenge us in these areas. All the areas that James points out here in this letter. Because he knows when we allow him to live his life through us, our life's going to begin to reflect him more and more. And the more it reflects him, man, the more full and fulfilling our life's going to be. And so heart transformation begins when we realize that we're loved by God despite our failures and sin. It begins when we humble ourselves and admit the fact that something is wrong inside of us. Something's wrong with our heart. When we acknowledge and admit that we lie. Slanderous gossip flows out of our mouths. And we just don't want to be this way anymore. Heart transformation begins when we admit our sin, but also admit that we need God's help. When we say, Jesus, I, I can't fix this. Please forgive me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And you do that not by trying harder to be good. You do that by trusting Jesus trusting him daily but also at some point in your life asking him to invade your life and to change you from the inside out and I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now just close your eyes he knows your thoughts and so just in your spirit right now, just pray, Heavenly Father, I'm done with trying. And by your grace, I'm trusting you to do what I can't do. I'm trusting you to forgive me through what Jesus did on the cross and to change my heart. Please, Lord, come into my life. Begin to live your life of love and joy and peace in me and through me. 
you prayed that prayer, there'll be prayer partners up here in a moment. In fact, why don't you make your way up now, guys, gals, and just go ahead and share it with them or share it with me. And I just have a word right now to those of you who are Christ followers. You know something I realized after I studied this passage is still how much I have to grow. But there's something, there's a takeaway here that I hope you'll take away with you. And that is every time you find yourself grumbling, complaining, recognize there's something wrong in here. You've got an issue with contentment. That's something you need to talk to God about. Every time you slander someone, every time you make a cheap shot about someone to make yourself feel better by putting them down, see it as a sign that something's not right in here. There's something, a a fear of failure, an insecurity or whatever it is that you haven't surrendered to God. Or maybe you're still wanting the applause of people more than the love of God and the blessing of God. And I want you to know this, that if you're unwilling to surrender all to Jesus, nothing is going to change in your life. Nothing. Only Jesus can change your heart. So let's... Let's just lift our hands to the Lord like this. And let's look at these two questions. Lord Jesus, what are you saying to me? Personalize this now. Don't sit there and say, oh, I wish so-and-so had been here. No. What's he saying to you? And then ask that second question, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? If you need prayer, if you'd like prayer, Just make your way up here, even as we wait. God bless you. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace and love that's directed toward us. Even, Lord, when we blow it, you don't give up on us. You keep pursuing us. Thank you for such amazing love. And, Lord, I just want to pray that the people who recognize today they need a heart transplant, Lord, that they will have reached out to you even right now. And I think of others who are Christ followers here, Lord. That they all have realized in a new way when there's stuff that's coming out of their mouth, Lord, that isn't aligned with you, that isn't really aligned with your word. 
that it would be a, a red flag that says something's not right inside. And Lord, they'd have the humility to make it right, to approach you, to repent, to surrender, whatever it is, so they can live in victory and be all that you want them to be. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 